Our scripture passage today is Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 32. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Will you keep your Bibles open with me this morning as we continue uh, and really conclude our our mini-series here in Romans, the second half of Romans chapter 1, each week for four weeks in Romans 1. I've thought to myself as, a, as this moment in, the, in, my, in my week approaches here on Sunday morning, I've, I've thought to myself, I think this is the hardest sermon I've ever preached. Like for four weeks running, I've thought this is the hardest sermon I've ever preached. Uh, the fact is here in Romans chapter 1, we just read it together. You saw what's there. There's a gravity and a seriousness to the scripture that's laid out before us here in the second half of Romans 1, and this week is no different. In fact, I feel a great, an even greater weight in this passage this morning. This morning's scripture reaches a climax of expression of the wrath of God upon ungodliness and unrighteousness. I'm going to keep pressing on. And I'm going to keep pressing on for your sake, for for our sake together. It's essential that we see and know the heart of darkness so that we can understand the depths to which the light of Christ has actually shown. The reality of our own depravity and the depravity that surrounds us is the very place that the power of God has shown and been leveraged for salvation. One of the greatest gifts that my father gave me, and my father gave me many gifts, particularly things that he taught me. One of the the greatest gifts that he gave me was kind of an awkward one. He gave me a view of a full-faced clarity about the reality of evil. He gave this to me along the way, uh, not as an evil that some sort of cartoon red-horned goblin with a spiked tail and a, a pitchfork, not like that sort of cartoon evil or a ghoulish character the child might dress up with a Halloween or something. Evil, my dad taught me along the way, is a darkness in the heart of man left to his pursuit of his own bent idolatry. I wouldn't recommend this as a parenting strategy. Doing that, I think, is good. It's, it's biblical. It's holding up biblical reality. But here's how my dad did it. 
I remember sitting down with my father one evening, and he said, okay, son, tonight we're going to watch Apocalypse Now. Now, Like, for the three of you who know what this movie is, uh, it's a theatrical imagining of Joseph Conrad's classic, The Heart of Darkness. Okay, and, and in, that, in that movie, the, one of the main characters is portrayed in his uttering with his dying breath this phrase, the horror, the horror. That is the heart of darkness. So, or I think more poignantly, the time that my father sat me down one Saturday morning and he said, okay, it's time. It's time to watch the Godfather trilogy. <laughs> All right, I'm not recommending this parenting strategy, but I'm telling you, it also worked for this particular guy. Uh, He he said, it's time to watch the Godfather trilogy. We're going to do it all on one Saturday morning, back to back. And here's where I'm going. This is not a film for your entertainment. And, And it's not. It's not even a film that I would recommend. But where it goes and where my dad was taking me was to the final scene where we see the Godfather himself alone in a chair, and in that moment, as a man who has filled his life with the pursuit of his own selfish debauchery, we see him in the darkness of his soul, a life having done what our scripture calls what ought not to be done. And he's alone in the darkness of his own heart. The horror, the horror. The the Godfather plundered all of his life And he received all that life has to offer. And in the end, all that life has to offer in all of its depravity is the same. A life alone in folly. This morning, we aren't going to watch any Hollywood portrayals. We're going to turn to Scripture. And I want for us what my father labored to give to me. I want you to see the darkness and the folly of the human condition. I want us to have a, a clarity of a, of a dark curtain backdrop. This is the scene in, upon which, the stage upon which the gospel is played out with all of its shining glory. I want us to see the eternal power of God in all of his brilliant glory. And I want to see him leveraging for salvation all of his eternal power in the grace of Jesus Christ there is a significance to what we have to give our attention to today. So let's spend a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your eternal power and divine nature leveraged for salvation. I pray that you would give us clear eyes, a sound mind, that your spirit would illumine what is true, that we might see it and wonder, is there any hope? And see that hope in Christ. Make that hope known in a world that is hopeless without him. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for your work in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we come to a fourth statement of the order of idolatry. Okay, right at the beginning of our passage. Like I said, I hope you have your Bible still open. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Here we have this order of idolatry. Idolatry, and it begins in this way. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is a clear recap of the order of idolatry that's presented repeatedly throughout the prior portions of our scripture in Romans. That There are three steps to this order of idolatry that's repeated over and over again in Romans 1. The first step is this. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God. I find that a fascinating way to say it. It doesn't just say that they didn't acknowledge God, right? It says they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. The fact is God is God. This is who he is. But they didn't see fit. It didn't didn't fit within the framework of their suppression of the truth to acknowledge God. As God, humanity knows the truth of God that's clearly perceived in nature. And what is perceived is eternal power and divine nature, according to Romans 1 in the prior verses. And yet we order our lives as though we ourselves are the universe's sovereign. And this passage itself says we worship the the creature rather than the creator. The second thing in the order of idolatry is God gave them up to a debased mind. So you you see, they do not acknowledge God. This is the disposition of our fallen nature. And then God gives them up to a debased mind. This is clearly to be seen as an act of judgment. If you see the fourfold repetition of this idea in Romans 1, it is hell on earth to which we have been given over in the disordering of our humanity. It is a precursor to hell to be given over by God to our own depravity. Like when you get what you want in the lusts of your flesh, you are getting a glimpse of judgment. For God to remove his life-giving, light-illuminating presence is to leave us to dwell in darkness. So grace, grace is actually an invasion force. Grace is an alien reality invading darkness with steadfast love and mercy to those sick with idolatry. This is what happens in your soul if you know Christ the invasive force of grace, but it's judgment, not grace, to be given over to the fullness and the outworking of our idolatry. To just be left alone is wrath. It's the heartbeat of sin to cry, on my own, I can live, and it's divine judgment in this life to be left to explore that possibility. Well, let's see how that goes. Let's see if on your own you can live. Let's see how the suppression of the truth goes with your debased mind. Third, they did what ought not to be done. They didn't acknowledge God. God gave them over to a debased mind, and then they walked off in the rejection of God into a variety of behaviors in the flesh. The order... One more time, idolatry, God gives them over, and then we have dishonored bodies and disordered lives. This is the order, that's the pattern that's held out for us. And then we have what follows. And I think this is a description of what ought not to be done. Verse 29, all manner of, you can see it, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. 
gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is a list that's horrific. When we hear it, we ought to think the horror, the horror in the heart of man. What civilization could survive this rampant depravity? I mean, honestly, with, all, with the heart of man let loose, who can survive that? That's the whole point. To be left to idolatry is to descend into unsustainable chaos. The gracious intervention of the Lord to interrupt this course of idolatry is necessary to prevent a descent into chaos. And this is what the steadfast love and mercy of the Lord is, an invasive force applied with the eternal power of God upon the dark heart of man. When I read this description of idolatrous humanity, I realize something. Which of these behaviors is not the subject of almost all of the popular music today? Like the, 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 in the title and its, in its lyrics. I can't even read the lyrics of all but a couple of the most popular songs on iTunes. It, I mean, imagine for a moment. I just open it up and I click show lyrics and I stood in the grocery store lobby area, not even loudly, just read the lyrics that I found there to the most popular, most played, most listened to songs in public. I would not be surprised if at some point I wasn't arrested. And yet, recently I went to an area public school athletic event and it was those songs that were playing over the speakers to, to jazz up the kids to get ready to play. I went to the announcer, and I said, first of all, I sat there, and I looked around. I said, does anyone else hear this? And I, I, did, the, I, I did, did the thing where I, I looked up the lyrics on what, what it was, and I went to the announcer, and I just started reading the words to convince him to stop. And here's what he said. What do you want me to do? What what do you want? Stop it. Stop it. Like, what's wrong with us? All of us sitting there on these metal bleachers, hearing everything of what's going on, and we're sitting there thinking, what what do you want me to do? Stop it. I, I I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you've looked at those songs and and honestly, I would say don't. Like, just don't. Just take, take, take my word for it. I don't want you to go and look, but I do want you to know it's there. It's really actually there. There is a depraved reality that we are swimming neck deep in. This is where we, we are. There are a few words that jump out to me in this list. I think one of the most interesting ones is that that phrase, inventors of evil, right? Do you see it? Inventors of evil. I don't even think our grandparents could have imagined half of the depravity celebrated in our popular culture. And yet we're very inventive when it comes to sin. We're very creative. You and I are. Sin is sin, and evil is evil. But sometimes I'll tell Sandy about an article that I've been reading about some recently celebrated depravity, and she'll say, what even is that? And I'm like, I don't know if you want me to tell you, 
what that's referring to. There, there's nothing new under the sun. That's true. Sin is sin, and evil is evil. But we sure are becoming remarkably creative in our ability to express age-old depravity. But it's still the same darkness. Do we see it? Do we, do we recognize it? Can we hear it? Here's another one in the list. Again, it's one that's like, what's this one doing here? Disobedient to parents? Like, you're just kind of leaving everybody without excuse? Yeah, yeah, like everybody without excuse. But when a culture becomes defined by that depravity, one of the things that shocked me the most in children's movies during the years of, of raising my young children whether it didn't matter who it was, it didn't matter if it was Pixar or Disney or DreamWorks or what the, the, the particular production company was, what shocked me was the consistent, pervasive theme that a mother and father is, is the one who is holding back freedom and opportunity for the child. And so the way that the child is to find fulfillment and ultimately save the day is by refusing the clear will of his or her parents refusing the traditions of the elders or the responsibility that the person has in society. I've done very little censoring of entertainment in the content consumption of my children in their growing up years. But I remember the first time I ever skipped a scene with my, my oldest son. It was the moment in that, in that movie in which that little clownfish Nemo he yells something back to his father when the father had given him a loving command of protection. The father gives a loving command of protection and the son yells back, I hate you. I thought, no. I never want my son to hear that as like some sort of thing that ought to wrap rattle around in his mind and heart when I give him a loving instruction. And what were they thinking to put that on the lips of a little clownfish? And to put in the imagination of little children, disobedient to parents. It's not a power trip. It's a thwarting of the order of love that God has given to creation. The list ends with this, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I love what the translator did in holding it out in that way. These aren't so much a list of sins. I mean, think about it. As much as they are a description of a character of a people, what sort of life flows from a person bent in on himself in this manner? Well, it's a life that's foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We know this. We know this way of life deserves death. We know our, our lustful debaucheries, our, our runaway appetites are destroying us. We know that. And yet, instead of putting an end to them, we celebrate them. And that's how the passage ends. Though we know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Like, there's almost nobody who reads this list and say, oh man, marching orders. Like, that's it. Let's just put that on tablets and put it in schools, you know, wrath and murder and so on. No. We know that these are despicable practices, and yet they not only do them, but give approval to those 
who practice them. This is the, the definition of the Proverbs fool. In Proverbs 13, 16, the Proverbs fool flaunts his folly. Flaunts his folly as if it was a folly that ought to be held up and imitated. And this is where we're going today. We're gonna spend the majority of the rest of our time this morning considering this simple claim. Here's the claim. Idolatry is evil. And we talked about idolatry last week. We're not talking about some idolatry out there. The reality of idolatry that is endemic to our natural fallen selves, every one of us, apart from Christ and his alien intervention, idolatry, our idolatry is evil. About a year ago, I was at my home about to, uh, thinking about my love for my children. Right? This is something that you know, a dad kind of thinks about sometimes. And I was thinking about how my love for my children becomes an effort to protect them from those who would seek their harm. Like, that's a good thing. You don't have to be a helicopter parent to, to think something just real simple like that. This is one of the good things that a good father does. Like, it's why a dad checks the safety ratings on a car, not just the sound system, you know? It's why we have locks and security cameras, though maybe we go a little too far sometimes with that just because we like the tech. We can be careful, and we should. It's good. We can be careful about where our kids are hanging out on the weekend and who they're with. We can get to know their friends and check in on what they're being taught at school. But it struck me that with good seatbelts and airbags in the car, check. With doors locked and a solid construction for our doors and windows, check. Got it. And with good friends, a good education plan, and, and faith in my own children's willingness to trust the instruction of their father, not to turn and say, I hate you, but to, to go ahead and do what I've instructed them in, in love. The fact is, we live, even in the midst of all of that, in an actually unique moment in history. We should be careful to say that. But an actually unique moment. The evil isn't coming in through doors and windows. It isn't stopped by anything that I can build to lovingly protect my children. The aggressiveness and the audacity of evil actors, which is not new, that's been around since this was written and far before, but the audacity and the evil actors who would seduce my own children into all manner of evil and confusion comes into my home in the air itself. In the air. And it's in the waves of the air, so you can close the window no air is being transferred, and yet it still comes in in ones and zeros and little bits in computer code, moving in the ways of the air, and there's nothing I can do about it. Now, I thought maybe Faraday cage or some sort of thing like that, if you're into this, talk to me afterward, you know? But really, there's nothing we can do about it. There's no internet filters, no work that we can do on screen time at the end of the day, if the child wants to access evil that is in the air, he or she can gain access to it. It's everywhere. I have friends whose children have wandered into chat rooms that promote violent right-wing conspiracy. And when I say wandered in, I mean wandered in and stayed. I have friends whose children have wandered into chat rooms that assert and affirm all manner of sexual gender confusion. I don't mean just wandered in. That's just about everybody, but wandered in and stayed. 
when I first started exploring social media, there were these little quizzes. And when you took the quiz, you could match your likes and dislikes to famous actors and celebrities in history, right? And it was kind of fun. And then you got like your name next to the picture of the celebrity that matches your type. It was a good bit of fun. But today, they have those same interest quizzes with a lot of the same questions. But the result is to align you with whether you're gender non-binary or perhaps you're a, another gender trapped in the wrong body. Same questions different answers. And all this is just floating in the air. Did you know that over 30% of present internet traffic is pornography? So that means that if the airwaves are moving right now, just so, 30% of the movement of the traffic in this room, if it's passing through it all, is that sort of depravity. Listen, this is, I just want to give you a heads up on a read of scripture. This is not a good exegesis of the passage, but I have to tell you what came to my mind when I was thinking about this. When I realized all my efforts to create some sort of measure of safety for my children was, it was really just futile against the reality of this invasive force, my mind went quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. We went here last week too, but it's a different part of it. It says, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Oh, that is, it's actually grace to hear. You once walked. He's preaching to the church. What grace. You were dead, and he's going to come around to if we kept reading. Now you're alive in Christ. But here's what he says. You were dead in sins and trespasses, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince and the power of the air does not refer to the internet. All right? Can I just not get quoted as saying that? But it clearly refers to Satan and all the powers that oppose the way of the Lord. And there is a reality floating in the air of all manner of disobedience being celebrated on the internet that falls right in line with the prince of the power of the air. Idolatry and evil is in the air. And you can't even close a window to keep it out. What am I saying? Evil is real. It's one of the first things we have to confess. It's not new. Evil is in the heart of every human fallen nature. But I'm compelled this morning to say as clearly and plainly as I can that you aren't wrong to have a a sort of impression that there is a fresh brazenness to evil. That the list of unrighteous evil actually is increasingly an actual accurate description of the marching orders of our community. It is getting worse out there. There is actual deviancy. But there's always been deviancy, right? To deviate. There's always been fringe cases. There's always been sin hidden in basements and closets. I know we don't have basements around here. We barely have closets. And there's always been sin hidden in those places, out of view, but in the lives of every common man. But here's what is happening now. Those fringe cases have become normal. The hidden things are no longer done in secret. They are approved of. They are celebrated in 
in popular entertainment. It isn't just a graphic portrayal of villains like what most of what I grew up with. It is the celebration of the debauchery of the heroes themselves. Friends, we live in that moment. What's the point? I want to ask us seriously, is there anything at all that we should do or should we like retreat? Run away, build the Faraday cage. You know, let's get some chicken wire and figure out what to do next. Is there anything that we can do? I would suggest three things. The first is this. We must see that evil is real. Paul did. He knew the evil well enough to name it. What we have here seems like more, I tried to. I tried to like order these things and put them together. No, what he's saying here is like this. No, I think this was just a stream of consciousness. Like Paul just rattled these things off. He was aware of the evil. He'd seen it and he could name it. We don't have to watch it. We don't have to download it. We don't have to study it or participate in it. But we have to have our wide eyes wide open to see and hear what's coming over the loudspeakers. Do you see it? I've read and studied a lot for this purpose, that there are, there are few persons I've, I've found particularly helpful. There's a few people that I've found helpful in, in, in finding and diagnosing exactly what is really happening in the culture. Let me share one example that I found just this past week. And this is an example that brought me to tears, okay? Probably few of us in this room have heard the name Prisha Mosley. I don't know a lot about her except for a couple videos she put out. She's a young woman. She uh, self-described as having borderline personality disorder. And she was prescribed hormone treatments and gender transition surgery by experts. Right in the middle of that, around the age of 16. In her own words, she says, I took the cure that was handed to me. I was told that I was being... (laughs) I was being told that I was being given a cure and that I wouldn't want to kill myself anymore. And through tears, she says, it wasn't true. She says, I lost a lot of things to this. She then refers to her her physical mutilation and the destruction of her own ability to have a, a normal life of anything like a normal woman any longer. And she says, there are so many health, mental health disorders that, that make you hate your body. And the solution isn't to change your body, it's to fix your brain, she says. What I think we see in this passage here is even deeper, there is a darkness in the human soul that no manipulation of our bodies can address. She says this, I just don't want anyone else to feel this way. I feel like no one wants to date me or love me. Because I'm ruined. And the video cuts off. Ruined. When I hear those words, I hear the horror. The horror. She's staring into the heart of darkness. And and it's in her and all of those who, who gave approval to her ruin. My heart aches for that sister. I know yours does too. Listen, Prisha... There's no way she's a, some sort of raving right-wing culture warrior. That's not what's going on in that video. This sermon is not a call to a culture war. 
Krisha is simply trying to open our eyes to the reality of depravity being asserted and approved by so many with power in the world in which we live today. There is a prince of the power of the air, and he is at work in the sons of disobedience. Like, does, that, does that mean something? Or is that just interesting doctrine so we can get to the but God? Is it real? Friends, we have to see evil as real. We saw it so clearly last week. The reality that the evil flows directly out of the folly of our idolatry. Second, we must begin to connect how the evils in our moment are rooted in suppression of the truth. Idolatry is evil. And that evil has a root. It's not just some random thing. It has no substance on its own. It is the substance of evil is the suppression of the truth. I don't know how many times I've said it in this sermon miniseries, but the point is not to retreat to some imagined golden age. The point is not to win a culture war in which sin is again pushed to the margins and hidden in basements and closets. Like, is that a better world? Sin is still idolatry. And it's still destructive to souls, even if we do a better job of keeping it from public view. Do you believe that? Has this always been the call to the church, not just in our cultural moment? The point is to do better to meet our cultural moment with the gospel of Jesus Christ because we see with our own eyes. We can see the depravity and the brokenness and the fear, the lostness. Let me give you another example. Perhaps you've heard the phrase dead naming. Dead naming is what the, the disordered gender ideology is taken to calling the practice of referring to a person by not their given name, not their, by, by referring to them by their given name or their birth name instead of a name of their gender choosing. Even using his or her in a statement is, could be considered a sort of dead naming, a dead naming via pronouns. This is what Prisha has to say about her own experience with the experts who led her to gender transition surgeries and hormones. She says this, The trans community tells you to kill your old self. I literally feel like I killed a child. And it was me. And it's turned on its head. And it's called dead naming, to name the child. It's a nefarious purpose. Everything is being upended and turned around to kill the old self so that you call what you called your old self a dead name? It's the name of your childhood. What we're being told is that we are to participate in a lie. That the person will kill himself or herself if we deny his or her reality. But the whole lie of transgenderism is an enticement to kill who they actually are, to participate in a dead name. The whole point of transgenderism is to put an end to the flesh that God has given. 
the, a, a flesh that's given in created order, a fashion, and to fashion out of that flesh that is given a body of our own making. I just can't think of many outworkings of unrighteousness that, that better fits the description of suppression of the truth. So, so what are we doing here? Is the whole idea that in this last week, this last week we, we picked on homosexuality, is that the idea? And then this week we just move on to the next real cultural talking point. You might be right to ask, man, I'm not coming next week. He's just going to pick out another one. I mean, what, what is it? That's not the point. You see, the scriptures rang true last week. Homosexuality is a disordered, dishonorable passion. It is a shameless act. But the true error came before any outward behaviors, and that is a true error that is shared in by all who suppress the truth, you and I. The true error is to exchange the truth of God for a lie. The true error is the danger of our sinful nature, the danger that is ripe in every human heart. The true error is idolatry. That's why the the whole topic here is idolatry is evil. This week, the point is so far from pointing a finger of shame upon a person who has come to hate his or her own body. It's the last thing that's needed. A person that's been told that the solution is to do irreparable alterations to a body's chemistry and flesh. For every one of these, the message must be grace and mercy from their maker, the fashioner of the flesh and the repairer of the soul. The one who has leveraged the power of the heavenly places for rescue and salvation. He is your father and he does not hate your body. I think there's a lot of people in this room that need to hear that. There's a way to learn, to learn. Like this is not, we're born with a fallen nature and and a propensity to suppress the truth. There is a way to learn that God has given to you and can be received with thanksgiving and not with shame. It can be learned. It can be learned by faith. The purpose of the passage is not about heaping on shame. The the point of the passage is an open statement of the truth, that that we should see idolatry for what it actually is. There is a third warning for us in our passage today, an answer to the question, what do we do in the face of the reality of our culture? There's a third warning. We must see that idolatry is not only personal and individual, but it is corporate. It is social. We have to see that evil is real. We've already seen that. We must begin to connect how the evils in our moment are rooted in the suppression of the truth. The evil is idolatry. We've already seen that. And we must see that as a people together, as a people who share a cultural time and a cultural place, that we participate in this particular idolatry. Romans 1, in its ending, makes this so clear. Look at it again with me. Verse 32 in the second half, they not only do them, that is the list that was just read, but give approval to those who practice them. Do you see the corporate nature of the depravity? And it's not the word they. It is that 
you have a person who practices such things. And then you have another person who is roped into an affirmation of joining in that depravity. Depravity and idolatry is a social phenomenon. It's what we are engaged in in a corporate culture. Sin is not just satisfied in the practice alone. Sin wants to multiply. It wants to increase in number. It's not a parasite that's satisfied to feed on a host. Sin grows and multiplies and then bursts forth with an infection. The idolatry of Romans 1 is not individualistic. It's why why no claiming of individual rights or liberties or or working uh, this out with a constitution and legislations is going to deal with what we're dealing with here. This isn't an individualistic problem. It is an aggressively social problem. Idolatry not only does such things, it gives approval to those who practice them. Give approval to those who practice them. I mean, it's literally called gender-affirming care. Like, was somebody reading the Bible when they came up with that? To give approval. I'm not trying to, to make some sort of cheap pun that the role of the church here is to enter into a real, clear-eyed, creation-informed, gender-affirming care. A real care that affirms creation order. God has given his image to humanity. And this image is expressed male and female. This is what we affirm. This is what we approve. This is what we have received and has been proclaimed over us by the very heavenly order. And it is loving care to do so. This isn't what the whole of the culture doing. We are building a whole civilization and culture, a whole new social order out of our idolatrous imaginations. Not a world that's received by a creator, but a world that is imagined from the inside of idolatry out. It's like building an entire fairyland and then trying to live in it as if it were real. It's not going to work. It isn't reality. It's a twisted fairy tale akin to some sort of Tim Burton movie. It's not a place where people can actually live. This is my final word of warning this morning. We need a church grounded in reality. We need a church that that lives, like lives, doesn't know, doesn't preach alone, but lives doggedly in reality. We don't need a perfect church. That's not reality. That's a fairyland that the church has built. And it doesn't work. We don't need a perfect church with some weird set of pure saints. We need a church grounded deeply in God's created reality. We need a church filled with humans who live like actual humans, with given natures and and instructed ways to walk. We don't just live out what we feel like walking, but admit that we are by nature immature and need to be brought to to maturity by someone higher than ourselves, greater than ourselves, before ourselves, maybe even someone with eternal power and a divine nature. 
a church that digs deep foundations, doctrinal foundations for all the structures of our lives and the depth of the reality of grace through faith. This is real reality. There is a given nature and there is the reality of the invasion of grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is reality. Will we bury our footers deep as a church established on the pillar of that reality? A church deeply dug in foundations, unmoving, moored and anchored to this eternal power and divine nature of a creator, a church grounded in biblical reality. I have an image in my mind of a foundation that is laid that is called the church and it is built and moored to Christ and he's unmoving and he's sure it's a foundation and you got to wonder what do you build on that man we build a bunch of garbage on top of that along the way a bunch of stuff that that shakes and rattles and it's not the world tearing it down it's God because that was never supposed to be there Often we imagine the stronghold of the church like like a a, a massive cathedral structure with stone walls and narrow windows and nothing could get in or out. That's not what this needs to look like. What needs to build on this foundation has to have doors wide open. We can't keep the air out anyway. Doors wide. Why not castle with walls and moats to keep the evil out? Evil is in the air and evil is in the hearts of everybody who enters. No, the church has to be deeply founded and wide open because the church needs to be a place for refugees running away from the destruction all around. We can't be a place of refuge for them to run into it and be saved if the doors are barricaded. Non-reality, it won't hold up forever. The deeper we go, the less likely non-reality is to last much longer. A people living in full view of reality with an awareness of the depth of our own fallenness, that is reality discovering the meaning of our createdness, shaped to our core by gospel proclamation to our own souls and any refugee with us who would hear it, ready to receive all who are weary of lies, weary, exhausted, ruined with lies, practicing and approving all idolatrous unreality. Are we ready to live in reality? I have four close pastor friends, elder friends, whose adult children are directly affected by lies floating in the very air that we breathe. I couldn't possibly enumerate the number of people that I know personally who have been sold a delusion after delusion. And for all those, there are some who have seen the glory of Jesus Christ, submitted their lives to his design, the very order of the heavens, and And they've suffered much to do so. Brought them to face the horror. It's a terrifying thing to consider, is my life ruined? Lost friendships, lost relationships. And and in, in, in faith, they've turned and they've chosen to live their lives 
planted in reality as terrifying and upending of even their debased life. They've chosen to live their lives planted in, the, in reality. What are they going to find when they find the church? Those who, by grace through faith, have seen fit to acknowledge God and have turned from ungodliness and unrighteousness, what will they find when they find the church? Will they find a people who have no idea that any of this was even going on? Like, why are you running in here looking all ruined and ragged? What's going on out there? Will they find a people who are trying to be relevant, playing with small approvals as some sort of unholy bait and switch? And that doesn't work in a trauma hospital. It doesn't work for refugees. Will they find a pile of self-righteous idolaters who are pleased with how pure we are? How everyone here has managed to confirm, I mean, externally to a list of agreed-upon hypocrisies. Is that what they find? Or will they find a people living in a grounded reality to which those who have suffered much have now turned? You see, today is the day to be grounded in that reality. What is that reality as we close? It is a world ripe with sin and idolatry, a world redeemed by grace through faith. It is a, it's a church that loves the prayer of confession. I loves the prayer of confession because it faces reality in the face. All of it. My desperate need and the glory of Christ to save. And we confess these two things. I've gone back to it for weeks now. Romans 1. Romans 1 in verses 16 and 17. Romans 1 holds out the wrath of God. Make no mistake. We can't skip it. If we're going to give attention to it, it's going to be a hard four weeks. It's dire, fateful, alarming, relevant. And it's a warning. And I honestly mean it when I say to him who has ears, let him hear. God, give us ears. But the proclamation of the wrath is not the purpose of the message of Romans. I mean, what's the title of the sermon series? The title of the sermon series is The Gospel in Romans. That's good news. That's the point. We're we're looking at one portion of it for four weeks. But just before we have the marching orders of Romans. In verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There is a prince of the power of the air. Ah, but there is an eternal power. And there is a divine nature that has leveraged his invasive grace for the purpose of salvation. Salvation to everyone who believes. Doors wide open. Forays into the darkness with a spirit of light. What's Paul revealing? God's wrath on unrighteousness? Is that the point of Romans? God's wrath on unrighteousness? No, that's the dark background by contrast that Paul is going to reveal the righteousness of God. And friends, that righteousness is not our performance. That righteousness is a person. 
And he has a name, and his name is Jesus, the Messiah. And all of your shame, your idolatry, your dishonorable passions, your shameless acts, your evil and your malice, right? That's what it says. Your, your murder and your strife, your slander and your insolence, your faithlessness has been placed on the shoulders of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. That's power. That's invasive grace. He suffered the full and final wrath of God in your place. Do we see what he's done? The wrath has been revealed. Oh, absolutely it's been revealed. But as bad as our cultural moment is and as horrible as this list of depravity is, you need look no further than Jesus, the perfect and sinless son of God hanging on the tree in the place of sinners to see the wrath of God revealed. And what grace it fell upon his willing shoulders. Jesus is where the righteousness of God is revealed. All the trust, all who trust in his perfect sacrifice, to them he has granted the gift of Jesus' own righteousness. We, with our disordered passions and shameful lusts, declared righteous by grace through faith. Every righteous reward, every inheritance due to Jesus is ours in him. And Prisha, you're not ruined. It's grace that you have come to the recognition. And this morning, there's a church in Brevard County running to catch up to where you're at. You would be ruined. But God... There is power of salvation for you. This is good news. Do we see it? And will you today, everyone in your particular place, will you respond with faith, trust, confidence in this grace? Heavenly Father, mm. You've loved us well. Your creation order is a gift of grace. It is an act of generosity, and we have made such a mess of it. From our first parents, Adam and Eve, we show ourselves to be their children in our own lusts and behaviors. We've made a mess of your gracious gift. Lord, I pray that today we would see the invasive, powerful glory of your grace revealed. I pray that as we open up Romans again when we come back to it in the spring and as we open up the history of redemption in the coming weeks, we would see that grace unfold and it would become all the more pressure and precious to us who in ourselves have seen the horror, the horror I am ruined. Woe is me. I'm not only a man of unclean lips individually and personally, but I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Oh God, bring us to that place and lift up our eyes as the angel comes to us with a coal to cleanse our lips. And that coal is Christ. Cleanse us, Lord. 
and lead us in a way that is righteous and that joins you on your mercy mission. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Bring about transformation. Bring we who many of us in this room still dwell in basements and closets. I pray that you would call us out and bring us into the open, not for shame, but for grace. And that the whole of the church would celebrate, ah, look, another refugee brought in safely into the sure foundation. This is our hope, Lord. We trust in you for it. Do this work, even in this church and the churches that you've gathered in this county and around this world. We need you. We need the name of Jesus Christ in whom we pray. Amen.